Good morning, Celebration Church. How are y'all doing? It's good to see you. Let's all stand together and say the Apostles' Creed. This is who we are. This is what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, please do keep Pastor Bob and Dana in your prayers this morning. Um, Dana had to be admitted to the hospital last night with an elevated fever and a blood count, so they have just had a rough week of it. So we, they need our prayers, so remember them as well. well I was looking at a map, uh, a demographics map this week on Facebook of all the different states in the United States and the languages that are prevalent in each one of our states. So, of course, English being number one, Spanish being number two, that's true across the board. And then each state had an interesting third language that everyone spoke the most. And, of course, in uh, Wisconsin, what do you think that was? Uh-huh. German. So, I've entitled my sermon this morning, Stubbornness. So, you Germans are going to, you're going to make the connection. This, this, is a good, this is a good segue. We're reading out of Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and he would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. And so he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. She handed it to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up, eat some of my game so that I may give you my blessing. Give, give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, 
How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. And then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. It just gets creepy. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked him. I am. He replied, liar. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate. He brought some wine. He drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Well, Jacob and Esau were brothers, the sons of Isaac, the twin sons, who was the son of Abraham. They were always going at it, these two guys. This is, what, this is the third round of recorded competition between these two guys. The first was at their birth. The Bible says they actually wrestled each other on the way down the birth canal to see who would come out first. The second competition involved Esau being tricked by Jacob into selling his birthright. There they were out in the wilderness. Uh, Esau was out hunting. Jacob was fixing up some soup. Esau came back from the hunt, famished, thirsty, said, give me something to eat. Jacob said, uh-uh, not until you give me your birthright. You give me your birthright, I'll give you something to eat. And so Jacob received that birthright from Esau that day. Esau foolishly gave it up just for a bowl of soup. And now this, the story of how Rebekah conspired with Jacob to receive the final blessing from Isaac, the father it's an amazing thing in this story that you might not see right on the surface. The story of Isaac and his sons is really the story of Isaac and his stubbornness. From the beginning, we discover that Isaac always preferred Esau over Jacob, even though the Lord had made it clear when they were born that Jacob had been the one chosen to lead Israel. And that had been 40 years ago. Isaac had known this for 40 years. The oracle over Jacob had been announced, but Isaac refused to believe it. God told Rebekah, before the boys were even born, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The older Esau will serve the younger Jacob. That was 40 years ago, to the, uh, pr prior to the opening of this story that we're reading here. And now it's time for Isaac to pass along the family blessing to one of his sons. He already knew it was supposed to be Jacob, but Esau was his favorite. So here we discover that Rebekah and Jacob had to resort to a trick, a scam, in order to get the blessing. And so Jacob dressed up. He even smelled like his brother so that he could disguise his true identity. This was serious business, this passing on of the blessing thing. 
So Isaac and uh, Rebecca and Jacob were very serious about what was going on. The stakes were very high. And of course, Isaac, being stubborn, was determined that he was going to pass that blessing on to his favorite son Esau, not Jacob. Now, it was not God's will that this be done. But he decided to do it anyway, thinking to bless his favorite Esau. He allowed his personal preferences to get in the way of the clear plan of God for God's future nation. It was as if Isaac said to himself, I don't care what God said. I prefer Esau. He's my favorite. He's more my type. He is absolutely going to receive my blessing here. And this is total exposure of what was really in Isaac's heart. It was not a dress rehearsal for the blessing. This was the big deal. This was the final day. Have you ever been in the grip of this kind of stubbornness? Maybe God spoke something to your heart. He told you to do one thing. You did the opposite. Christians are guilty of this. Someone gets, in, gets it in his mind that he's going to go one way. God says no. We say, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. We all have our ideas. But are my ideas God's ideas? Stubbornness can destroy you. It can destroy a church. It can destroy a family. And so knowing the plan of God, knowing where God's favor already rested, Isaac, in his old age, chose to go ahead with his own preferences anyway. He called Esau to his bedside, requested one more time that his favorite game be hunted, cooked for him just the way he liked it, sent him off. And that with the promise that when he returned with the meat, he returned with the meal, he would confer the blessing on him, the blessing of the firstborn son. And Rebekah heard this, and God heard this. There are two farms near Valley View, Alberta, Canada. You can find on those, between those two farms two parallel fences that run. They're only two feet apart. They run for a half a mile between the, the property, these two farms. Two farmers, Paul and Oscar. This is a true story. There was a disagreement that erupted. It turned into a feud between the two guys. Paul wanted to build a fence between their land and split the cost with Oscar, but Oscar didn't want to do that. He didn't want to spend the money on a fence at that time. Uh, he wanted to keep cattle on his land, though, and so Paul ended up building the fence by himself. He paid for the whole thing and, uh, and, and, and built the fence. And, it, and after the fence was completed, uh, Oscar comes over and says to Paul, Oh, 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 I see we have a fence. What do you mean, we, replied Paul. I got the property line surveyed. I built the fence two feet inside my own property. That means that some of my land is outside of that fence. And if any one of your cows sets foot on my land, I'm going to shoot your cow. And Oscar knew that Paul wasn't joking. And so, <laughs> so when he eventually decided to use that land adjoining Paul's for his own pasture, Oscar was forced to build a second fence 
two feet away. And Oscar and Paul today are both gone. But do you know that fence is still standing? It's a true story. The fence is still standing, half mile long, two fences, two feet apart, as a memorial to two men's stubbornness. You know, there are people who hide behind their stubbornness and they call it standing for conviction. Others say that God spoke to them or they base their stubborn claim on some interpretation of Scripture. Some people point to their years of experience or their education or their social status or their position in the business world and they use those as reasons why they shouldn't have to budge or defer to anybody else on any particular issue. Some people just feel naturally superior to everybody else. And because of that, they've decided that their opinion should count over everyone else. I'm not sure which one of these describes Isaac, but they sure do describe us, don't they? The, the stubbornness of religious people has done more to damage the reputation of the church than probably any of our other vices. Isaac favored his one son. He refused to admit it and, it, and he almost made this catastrophic error. Had God not intervened, it's difficult to say what kind of calamity might have occurred at the, in history at the hands of Esau. I mean, even though Rebecca resorted to trickery, we still have to admire her faith. She was so sure of Jacob's calling and of what God told her, she was willing to risk even a cursing from her own husband just in case her plan failed. So she reassured Jacob. And he wasn't convinced. He, he was scared. He said, Mom, are you sure you want to do this? She said, you just let the curse fall on me. If it's necessary, just go do this, son. Get these two goats, or these two lambs, bring them back, and I'm going to fix some food for your father. Do what I say. Get this done right now. Jacob did not obviously realize the stakes that were involved here and the urgency of this timing, but Rebecca did. She took the lead. She became strong. She did this. Now, Isaac was literally blind. He was well aware, though, of how Esau felt. We learned that Esau was a pretty hairy guy and how Esau smelled. And so the trick was to get Jacob to smell and feel like his brother. In appearance, they were very different. And so this was going to be a little difficult. Rebecca retrieved some of Esau's clothing. She had Jacob put it on. She placed these young goat skins around his neck and his arms to make him feel hairy like Esau. And she cooked the goats in such a way as to make them taste like wild venison. And then she had Jacob take that meal into Isaac. Isaac was still suspicious. He asked Jacob, draw closer so I, he could touch him just to make sure it was Esau. And he ate the meal. And after eating, he asked Jacob to draw closer for a final embrace after issuing the blessing. And then he wanted, because he wanted to smell the clothing of Esau, now worn by Jacob. And after being thoroughly convinced that it was indeed Esau, Isaac gave him the full blessing of the firstborn son. And then Jacob withdrew from the room. Fast forward a little bit in the Old Testament to the story of David, the king of Israel, and how God chose David to lead that nation. It's a very similar story, really. 
The prophet Samuel came to David's home in Bethlehem and he asked David's father, Jesse, bring your sons into the living room right now. We've got a, it's time to anoint the king. And uh, that one of your sons, Jesse, is going to be anointed as the new king of Israel. So Jesse proceeds to parade all of his sons in front of Samuel the prophet. But none of these guys were right for the job. Samuel knew something was wrong because God clearly told him that the new king was in this family. You got any other sons? Samuel asked. Well, yeah, I just got one more, David. You know, he's just out there tending the flock. Well, go get him. Bring him in here. And sure enough. David's the one. Samuel insisted that he be brought in. And just like Jacob, David was the one hidden in the background. Neglected by his father. Despised by his brothers. But God knew where David was. Just like he knew where Jacob was. God knows where you're at. We don't have to get all stubborn on God. He knows what's going on. He knows how to accomplish his will in our lives. He knows how to do this. Today, you and I have the advantage of retrospect. We can look back. We can see what Esau threw away. But more important, we can see how impervious God's will is to any threat from the outside once his call settles on a man or a woman. If only Isaac and Esau had paid closer attention to what God had said in the first place, there would have been none of this horrible heartache and despair. Check out what happens next, verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food, brought it to his father and said to him, my father, please sit up. Here's some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And his father asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who is it then that just hunted game and then just brought it into me? I ate it just before you came. I blessed him. He's the one who's going to be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud, bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. And he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Second time. Isaac said, No, I made him Lord over you. I've made all of his relatives his servants. I've sustained him with grain and new wine. What can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too. A third time he asks. And Esau wept aloud. His father answered, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. And so, this story plays out in high drama. Isaac said to Esau, your brother came deceitfully. He he took your blessing. And Esau said, he was named rightly, wasn't he? Jacob. This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Haven't you reserved any blessing for me, Father? Little side note. The word Jacob comes from the Hebrew verb to take by the heel, which is what Jacob was doing when he and Esau were born. (laughs) Esau came out first, but Jacob was hanging on to his brother's foot. On the way out. Later on, the meaning of this verb 
evolved in Old Testament literature to mean to deceive. Esau was right. Jacob received his name for a reason. Jacob the deceiver. And here was the result of Isaac's stubbornness. Here was God having the final word. And Isaac being forced to surrender instead of doing so willingly. Esau had no clue as to what had just happened. He, he was just a kid. He was just out hunting, doing what his dad wanted him to do. What did he know? He comes back in from the hunt, cooks up the food, brings it to dad, expecting to receive the blessing. There's this moment of panic as Isaac realizes what has just happened. Who are you? Esau said, well, I'm, I'm your son. Who was it then who was just in here who brought that meal? I blessed him. I can't reverse that. Esau was furious. He panicked. What am I going to do now? Jacob, it's his fault. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Well, that's not exactly accurate. Jacob didn't really take anything from Esau. Esau surrendered his birthright to Jacob. It wasn't taken from him. And so we see what Esau really felt he felt that he was justified in believing his birthright had been stolen. But in reality, he gave it up. And that was something very precious in those days. His error is confirmed in the New Testament. You fast forward to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what it says about Esau. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You know, there's no guilt laid at Jacob's feet in the New Testament. It wasn't his fault. It falls back on Esau. He despised something that he should have valued. His attitude is pointed out in Hebrews for a reason. It warns us. Don't take for granted what you possess from God. Don't take your salvation lightly. Care for it. Nurture your birthright as sons and daughters of God. You know, the spiritual condition of Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau, had deteriorated over the years. He cared only for his own appetites and his stubborn insistence on conferring the birthright on Esau, his favorite son. Rebecca and Jacob, on the other hand, remembered all that God had said, even after 40 years. Rebecca, it seems, identified more with the God of Abraham than did Abraham's own son Isaac. She remembered God's call. She remembered God's promise to Jacob. It was valuable to her. It meant something. We usually remember things, don't we, that are valuable. And for Rebecca, what God promised was valuable. Isaac forgot. Rebecca remembered. In 40 years, the vision had grown cloudy in Isaac. He stopped paying attention. He took too much for granted. He grew stubborn. Cobwebs started gathering in his spirit. He was treading water with God. He wasn't moving forward. He was occupying his inheritance, but he just had lost his appreciation. He'd grown complacent. What should have been obvious to Isaac was lost in the shadows of his own stubbornness. 
This morning, what do I value? That's a good question to ask yourself. What do I value? What do I see? Is the plain truth staring me right in the face and I don't even see it? Do I still love God? Or do I love the idea of God? Do I remember what it was like when I first knew him? You know, time has a way of altering our priorities. It's easy to lose love. Love can be redirected. Other things begin to capture our hearts. We grow indifferent about things that should matter. And then we get careless like Esau. We end up selling out for stuff that doesn't even matter. What is out there today that the world offers you, which in your opinion is more valuable than your relationship to God? What is it that could possibly be more valuable? Jesus asked us the same question. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's not be stubborn like Isaac. Refuse to see the elephant in the room. Hey guys, the elephant in the room is God. He's there. And he's really all that matters. It doesn't get any big, bigger than him. <laughs> he's a pretty big elephant. It doesn't get any more valuable. This is hard stuff to swallow, I know. This is a tragedy that we're reading about here. The sad hardness of Isaac's decision. It's hard to understand how these two men could have become so calloused, so flippant. Tonight, or today, we're, just, we're all just a little bit like Jacob or a little bit like Esau. We're all a little bit like Isaac. We, got, we have, all have our stubborn streaks. Stubbornness can be a good thing if I'm stubborn about the right thing. Stubbornness can be a, a good thing, but then again, it's not a good thing if I'm stubborn about the wrong stuff. There's an Old Testament term that's used for stubbornness. It's called stiff-necked. Here's an example, Jeremiah 17. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. Another place God said of his people, Israel. Isaiah 48, I, I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were like iron. <laughs> Your forehead was bronze. To be stiff-necked means I refuse to bow my head as in a nod, as in saying yes. It's an act of deference to a superior. It is a sign of submission and respect. In the Bible, stiff-necked is used exclusively regarding a person's relationship to God. Will I bow to him or not? Will I nod my head in the affirmative when he asks something of me or tells me to do something or reveals error in my thinking or my behavior? Will I bow? We are being programmed, by the way, today not to bow. Instead, we are told to be proud of who we are and to never change for anyone. To stand up for our rights and stick it to the man. To be free thinkers, independent of influence from anybody who thinks that they know more than we do. Worst of all, we're told that what God thinks really isn't all that relevant. That his word doesn't need to really influence us. That it's a poor barometer of true character. 
that we are better off unshackled by Christian belief and practice. But you know the truth. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know the truth. The way to peace is discovered when I allow God to cross my will. When I surrender first place to him, when I step off the throne of my life and I relinquish that throne to God, that's where you find peace. Amen? Let me be brutally honest with you guys this morning. I mean this in a good way. You have no idea what you're doing. I don't either. We have no idea what we're doing. You may think you know, well, you don't. You don't know what you're doing. The sooner you settle that in your heart and give that stuff over to God, the happier you're going to be. You can be stubborn if you want. It's okay. It's a free country. But stubbornness does not equate with success, nor does it equate with intelligence. We don't know what we're doing. Let's be honest. The reason we're stubborn is usually because we're afraid. We're afraid to change. We're afraid to trust. We're afraid to surrender. We're stubborn because we are essentially weak people. We mistake stubbornness for strength. It's not strength. Having a strong neck is not the same as being spiritually or emotionally healthy. It's different. Change is okay. We've got to be okay with it too. Change is, is something God uses in our life. He may call me to change in order to honor him or to lead a better, more fulfilling life. That's just something that happens in our lives. So give it some thought today. That's all I'm asking. Is your stubbornness worth it? What is there in your life that you refuse to give up even though maybe it's killing you? Let's not be like that. Let, let's let go of that stuff that's destroying us. Let's learn the amazing life of surrender to God. He really does have an incredible plan for your life. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day, for your word. We pray, Lord, your blessing. Jesus, would you teach us these truths? Would you help us to understand you better? Lord, help us not to be like Isaac and Esau, stubborn in willing our own way, willing our own destiny, and refusing to see the incredible destiny that you have planned for each one of us. Help us, oh God, to not be stiff-necked, but instead to learn how to bow to your will, to hear your voice, to go the way that you direct us, to lead lives that bring glory and honor to you. We know that you have nothing but good intention for us. And so God, because of that, we trust you, knowing that you have the best in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.